Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This episode of the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink. Your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> What's up, guys? Week number three. We're, like, it's today. Starts tonight on Thursday uh, when the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns kick off the week on Thursday night football. But we're here. It's all about Bears, Texans. This is the Bears, Texans preview uh, of uh, for week number three. Uh, our, uh, our friend Mark Lane from Texans Wire will be joining us to help preview uh, the ball game. Talk about these teams that on paper look very similar to one another. You know, uh, defensive-centric uh, head coaches that play smart, disciplined uh, defense with emphasizing taking away the football and uh, basically keeping everything in front of them. Don't want to give up the uh, big play. Fronted by second-year quarterbacks that are, you know, looking to kind of break out uh, this year. So it's an interesting Matchup on the face of it, the Bears coming off a disappointing loss to the uh, to the Packers uh, out there in Lambeau. The um, Texans fighting down to the end, uh, but coming up short against the Broncos in Mile High uh, on Sunday. So both these teams looking to rebound. Uh, you know, the Texans had a win in their pocket week one uh, against the Colts and let it slip away uh, in the fourth quarter, had to hang on uh, for the tie, and then, of course, got beat on Sunday. So they're looking for the first win. They feel like they should already have uh, the bears. On the other hand, just looking to rebound from another embarrassing loss uh, to the Packers on national TV. So, you know, it's a, uh, it'd be an interesting conversation that we have with, uh, with Mark talking about these two teams and uh, you know, how this game on Sunday might actually uh, turn out, but we got everything. We got news and notes. We got keys to the game and everything in between. So let's go ahead and get started. This is the week three preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. out loud. You know, I say it every single year. We complain for six months about how long the offseason is and can't wait for the season to start. And then once the season starts, we're all like, Jesus Christ, slow down for, for Pete's sake. You know, it's already week three. You know, I, I I barely blinked, and we're almost a quarter of the way through the season. Let's pump the brakes here, uh, NFL. Let's let's do that, please, because uh, I'm not ready for this to be a quarter of the way done already. So, uh, you know, anyway, week number three, the Bears return home. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the the footage that I saw of practice today um, looked like we were wearing our uh, our Michigan Wolverine helmets uh so we're going to be wearing the uh apparently the 36 1936 uh throwback uh uniforms with the like i said the the michigan wolverine stripes uh, on the helmet and the uh the pippy longstocking socks with the uh horizontal stripes that i hate but uh you know hey everything else on the uniform works i i actually really like everything else uh about it but uh, I, I believe I forgot to uh, confirm that before we got started here, but um, I think that's what we're looking at because those are the helmets the players are wearing uh, in the footage of practice that I saw today. And just to go ahead and kick off uh, news and notes, that footage that I saw was video evidence that uh, Lucas Patrick was snapping the football in practice today, which means that he should be our starting center, or at least I think it, 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 that's what that means. Anyway, that he'll be our starting center against the Texans on Sunday. And then the real question is, are we going to just leave Tevin Jenkins in at right guard? Uh, or are we going to rotate him in and out with Sam Mustafer like we did with Patrick? 
Uh, I hope the answer is A. We're just going to leave um, Jenkins out there to be the beast that he's been. I mean, I saw some really impressive stuff, um, you know, in, in, the, in the highlights and stuff from, from him and how well uh, he was blocking uh, on Sunday. I, I think he has the makings of a dominant guard. Even though we drafted him to be the left tackle of the future, I think we got Braxton Jones covering that so far. But, uh, you know, plugging him in at right guard and having him take it to it like a fish to water has been an outstanding turn of events considering where we were about eight weeks ago. Uh, with him hell it might even be that much um but um i'm hoping that's what that means that a lucas patrick will the fact that he's practicing snapping the football in practice means he'll be ready to go as our starting center against the texans on sunday and i also hope that it means tevin jenkins will play all 60 minutes as our right guard uh on sunday and that you know rotating nonsense for him is over with so uh, all due respect to Sam Mustafer, he actually did, in my opinion, uh, a much better job uh, than than he did last year. He was solid in the in the preseason uh, and everything, but I still see him like there was one play in particular. He got ragdolled by Kenny Clark, and I know Kenny Clark is one of the best nose guards in all of uh, football. But uh, what I saw on that play was particularly ugly, and I know one play doesn't make you know a whole assessment and everything, but. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, I think, uh, you know, him being a backup or or our swing interior guy back up to center in each guard uh, position is uh, where he needs to be right now. Just my own personal uh, opinion. I know Olin Krutz wouldn't like to hear that, but, uh, you know, that's just my thought uh, on the whole situation. But let's cross our fingers and hope that that's what that means, that, uh, you know, Patrick uh, practicing, uh, snapping the football in practice means he'll be ready on Sunday. Um, or at the very least that he'll means he'll be snapping the ball for us next week when we play the Giants uh, on the road uh, next Sunday. But um, we'll have to uh, wait and see what it means. Uh, as far as other injuries uh, on the team, I don't know what's going on with Valus Jones and that hamstring uh, for him to practice a day last week, and then he's out again uh, and everything. He did not practice again uh, today. Uh, Roquan Smith did not practice today with a hip injury. Um, that was interesting. Uh, Dane Crookshank, uh, our backup, one of our backup safeties, uh, was out with, uh, with an injury, uh, as well. Let me see if I can pull up the injury report so I can talk with accuracy here as far as who's out for what, <clears throat> but you know, Valus and the, and the, um, the hamstring injury is becoming one of the more disappointing things to keep hearing about on a week-to-week uh, basis. So let's see. Yeah, the Valus Jones with the hamstring did not practice. Ryan Griffin with an Achilles injury. I hope it's nothing serious. Did not practice today. Crookshank with another, also with a hamstring, and then Rokon with the hip injury. No, really, no one... No news on how serious the injuries for Roquan and Ryan Griffin uh, are, but they were serious enough for them to not practice today uh, on Wednesday. Um, Let me see if any significant injuries. Davis Mills dealing with a right thumb injury, but he was full participation for the Texans uh, today. The other guys, I'm not really... Well, they have Jerry Hughes, but that was more of a... Looks like more of a veteran's day off than... uh, anything serious for him. He's one of their defensive uh, ends. But I'm hoping this thing with Valus Jones and the hamstring finally, uh, you know, figures itself out so we can uh, finally get him back out on the field and um, see what he's uh, capable of uh, in live action because we saw him that one really great return he made against the Seahawks in the uh, second preseason game, and we haven't seen him since. So, Hurry up, man. Seriously, <laughs> let's get it going and uh, get you back out there so we can uh, see you do what you do. You know, I mean, you're, only, you're already 25, bro. You don't have a lot of time to, to, to kind of wait and develop. Uh, you know, for someone who's been in college for seven years, you're supposed to hit the ground running if you make it to the NFL, and you did. You got drafted, man. You're expected to be a uh, contributor, so get your ass out there for Pete's sake. Get it done already. So, um, anyway, um, Let's see. 
Other interesting news. Uh, nine Bears nominated for this year's Hall of Fame class, 2023. Uh, we got a handful of uh, full-time Bears, and I mean guys that were day one uh, people. Uh, Devin Hester, obviously, Lance Briggs, uh, Charles Tillman, Olin Krutz, uh, part of the nomination class, along with uh, these other Bears. The other five were um, played for the Bears at one point or another in their career. Uh, Jared Allen, Ruben Brown, Dave Craig, the quarterback, Clyde Simmons, defensive end, and, and Moose and Muhammad, uh, all uh, in this particular round of uh, nominees. Um, they'll be trimmed down to, like, I think 25 guys, which I guess would be your semifinalists uh, sometime later this year. And then, obviously, at the end of the season or right before the Super Bowl with the NFL honors, they'll announce the class uh, of 2023. So, Hopefully Hester gets in. You know, I was worried last year, and that worry tends to be there, that if Devin didn't get in on the first try, then I don't know how he'll get in because they're like the other – I mean, this is just the Bears, the guys that played for the Bears and such that got nominated. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't notice who any of the other uh, candidates were or who are some of the first ballot guys that are probably going to get in and uh, and things – like that, that make the opportunity for Hester to get smaller uh, and smaller. You know, like I've, I, I thought last year, if he didn't get in on the first try, we probably won't see it happen for a long time, even though there will be people, including me, that will be pounding the table. He should have been in all along uh, kind of thing. It's just one of those things that happens every year. There's somebody that's like right there on the bubble. If they don't get in on the first try, Chances are they're going to keep getting looked over for the other guys that are becoming newly eligible uh, and things like that going forward. I'm hoping that doesn't happen with Devin because all due respect to Peanut and Lance Briggs and Olin Krutz, of those four, he is definitely the, the uh, you know most deserving, you know, uh, for lack of a better term. But, you know, he had more of an impact on the game than those guys did as far as like, People had to change the way they defended the game or defended special teams and things like that because of Devin Hester and because of guys and because of him, the NFL started searching for guys like him, and that's how we got a a Josh Cribs and you know and guys like that that followed uh, behind him. You know they're very rare. You don't see them happen. You don't see them come along very often. The only guy close to that right now would probably be Cordell Patterson with his specialty in, in returning kicks and, uh, and things like that. But those special breed guys that, uh, you know, come around once in a lifetime and change the way the game is played, Hester checks that box a lot better than Briggs, Tillman, and Krutz. Those guys were just great at what they did on a consistent basis. Devin Hester, Devin Hester was special on a different level uh, from those guys, and even those guys would probably admit that to you uh, as well. So, but those were the nine uh, that were either longtime Bears like Hester, Briggs, Tillman, and Krutz that were originally drafted by the Bears. And then you got Jared Allen, Ruben Brown, Dave Craig, Clyde Simmons, and Musa Muhammad, who spent some time uh, with the Bears that are also eligible or that were nominees um, that were listed uh, today. So, good luck to all of them. Fingers crossed for all four uh, Hester, Briggs, Tillman, and Krutz. I feel like all of them should be in there anyway but uh, especially for Dev, because he should have been on already. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Still fighting off that cold my, my two-year-old niece uh, gave me. His way late, her 44-year-old uncle. Little shit. So, uh, in other news, uh, our honorary captain for the week, this week against the Texans, will be Eddie Jackson. Uh, Coach Eberflu says in the first two weeks, he feels like Eddie has earned uh, his way into uh, into that honorary captain spot. So he will be the fifth guy joining Justin Fields, Cody Whitehair, um, Robert Quinn, and Roquan, if, if Roquan plays uh, on Sunday as our captains for the game against the Texans. And then finally, in news and notes, Justin Fields. Um, I think it was Sunday night after the game. Or maybe it was Monday. I'm not sure. Um, but made the comment that um, this hurts harder or this um, hurts worse or something like that. Uh, the loss to Green Bay, of course. 
uh, than it does for the Bear fans because they actually put in the work to play the game. And um, I have a problem with him saying that. You don't like to hear it, but it's true. You know, there's no denying that. It's like we as Bear fans, we just sit here and we watch, we hope, we pray, we yell at the TV screen. Of course, we're all geniuses and we have better ideas uh, about what they should do. But those are the guys in the trenches. Those are the guys putting the actual work in, the blood, sweat, and tears uh, to make it happen uh, on the field. Not a very cool thing to say uh, when you're the face of the franchise. He kind of walked it back uh, today, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, somewhat somewhat apologize. I don't really feel like he needed to apologize for anything, but he just, uh, I think more so he clarified his stance uh, on the situation. He's like, you know, talking about how he, he, you know, he loves the fans and he's glad that we have fans and so on, but it's, you know, just talking about who puts the work in to actually get the win against Green Bay and fans don't, we don't. And, um, but the funny thing was, uh, there's this video and I'm sure you've all seen it by now of um, some, some woman walking up on her, I'm assuming now, ex-boyfriend. <laughs> and it was a TikTok, I believe. She comes up to him, and he's standing in front of the television. He's one of those people that stands in front of the TV to watch the games. Um, he has like a Bears like varsity jacket kind of thing. On. It's a cool-looking jacket. But, uh, and he's got a Bears skull cap on like a winter hat on his head, standing in the middle of his living room, uh, watching him. And she comes, she pulls up on him and, uh, she's doing this thing and forgive me for being sexist at the moment, but only women pull this shit. Okay. They, this, you don't see any videos online of some guy holding a phone in his girlfriend's face while she's crying over what happened in Grey's Anatomy, making fun of her about, you know, these people don't exist, right? This didn't actually happen. But women love to do this with men when it comes to sports and our favorite teams losing and losing games like this uh, to Green Bay because she's full on in his face. She's making fun of him. You know, why are you crying? I told you they was going to lose. He's, you know, they, they went ahead and lost. I told you they was going to lose. What? Why are you surprised? She asks, like, are you hot with us? So he takes the jacket off. He's got a Justin Fields jersey on. He's got wristbands, too. He got bare, bare wristbands on. She's like, oh, you think they're going to put you in the game and, 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 you know, throw you in there to get the last few points? And he, got, he gets just like, ah, man, I don't know what I would have done. I don't think I would have been as cool as this guy was. I mean, he, he eventually loses his temper, and the video ends when he's telling her to get out. So I'm assuming he threw her out. And I'm guessing that because the video got posted, he broke up with her. And that's her little revenge is that she's going to post this video and have him get laughed at by the world because of uh, because he was he was crying. She asked him, are you crying? And he had tears running down his face. He's like, hey, man, this affects some people this way. You know, it's like I don't I don't begrudge the guy. This this sucks, you know. Sometimes, I mean, it's honestly, when we lost to the Eagles in that wild card game in 2018, I can't honestly say that I cried, but I can definitely sit here and say that that emotionally messed me up for, for a while. Like, I, I, number one, I could not believe we lost that way. I could not believe we had to put the game in Cody Parkey's hands again. And, you know, I was like, and, and more importantly, for those of my OGs that were with me back in 2018, you heard me say this. I said it all off season and everything. I was not ready. I was not done watching that team play. They were so much fun. They were so special uh, to watch. Watching, you know, Trubisky blossom that year. Watching all these new pieces that we that we spent all that money on in free agency with Trey Burton and and uh, Allen Robinson, and, you know, and, and all those guys, and you know, this new head coach that just seemed to have this this magic wand where, you know, all of a sudden we had this amazing culture uh, in Chicago and all that kind of stuff. The trade for Khalil Mack, and that was the, the missing piece that made our defense from, from top 10 to top two. You know, this was a special squad, man. I was not done watching them play, and it all came down to that goddamn field goal in Cody Parkey. Unbelievable. You know, that definitely messed me up. 
uh, I was devastated when, when that kick bounced off the upright and then the crossbar. So it was like, I feel this guy's pain, you know, and he put it perfectly. He put it perfectly. She was making fun of him for crying. And he, he said, are you crying? It's like, you don't cry like that for me. He said, I've known you two months. This has been my team for 22 years. It's like, there you go. Like, you know, I saw like the quote, like somebody that tweeted said, you know, like quoted that, that line. And then the right after this said, I felt that it's like, so did I, I feel it. It's like, I've known you for X amount of weeks. I've loved this team my whole life. So don't even begin to try to compare the two. Just don't even, you know, and I retweeted the, the video of it this morning uh, on Wednesday. And, um, and I said that um, this is a we guy. This is a guy that when he talks about the Bears, he says, well, we, we, you know, we didn't get enough first downs or, you know, we didn't, uh, we did this. We turned the ball over too many times. We have too many penalties. We. Now, I say that, as you guys know, and I'm sure a lot of you do as well. And I want to make thing, one thing clear to any of those not in the we group that uh, when we say we in reference to the Bears, don't get it twisted. We're not saying that we're part of the team. What we're saying is the team is a part of me. Okay? This is, it's part of who I am. It's part of my identity as a person, as a podcaster and a content creator and things like that. Having the Bears talk underground, talking about the Bears, it's part of my life. It is my life. So, yeah. We didn't do so well. We're one and one. We got to get a win this Sunday against the uh, Texans. It's, there's nothing wrong with saying we. And then there are the assholes out there that want to make fun of you for saying, it was like, ooh, we, are, are you playing on Sunday? And if you don't smack the shit out of them, you know, more times than not, you just don't say anything. And they think that they've shut you up. It's like, really, I just, you can't wrap your hand around it. And I kind of feel sorry for you because I bet you are someone that's never loved anything that much in your life. And I do honestly feel sorry for people like that. And I feel, and I have a lot of hate for that girlfriend of his, if she's still his girlfriend. I hope that she isn't. I hope he was like, you know what? Get out. And I hope that's the last time he ever spoke to her. You know, what a terrible thing to do. Honestly, you know, like just because you think it's silly. Yeah, he's going to show you how much he doesn't think that's silly by throwing your ass out of his house and never speaking to you again. How funny is it now? So, yeah, it's, um, I had a girlfriend like that once and it did not go well. Uh, it did not go well. It also, it also did not end pretty, uh, Eddie, uh, as well either. So, yeah, I felt that guy's pain, um, when she came up to me, I was like, Oh, you know, are you crying? And you know, the, just the whole, it's like, what is it you're trying to do? Like, do you think that you're going to show him that video and he's going to be like, you know what? I am being silly. I'm not going to be like that anymore. He's like, no, let me see this phone. And then he's going to throw it out the window. That's what he's going to do. You know, you're mocking him and something that he loves. That's not cool. So anyway, I'm going to step down off my soapbox now. And uh, that's all we got for uh, news and notes and uh, our opinion uh, segment. Uh, What we're going to do now is we're going to bring in our friend Mark Lane from USA Today's Texans Wire to help us preview week three between the Bears and the Texans this Sunday at Soldier Field. Week number three has our beloved Chicago Bears returning home to Soldier Field. This time... uh, Looking to bounce back from the unfortunate loss to the Green Bay Packers, like we all didn't see that coming. But um, you know, but looking to get back to the winning ways to get to a winning record once again. And uh, here to help us preview this matchup between the Bears and the Texans uh, from Texans Wire, our good friend Mark Lane. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Larry, good to be on with you. So, Mark, let's talk about these uh, Texans of yours because they're very similar to the Bears as far as, like, tail of the, the tape. We have young second-year uh, quarterbacks led by defensive-minded coaches that played very disciplined, uh, you know, football. And um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how the Texans have, 
have looked because I, I haven't had a chance to actually watch them up close. They played the same time as the Bears week one. And then on two on uh, Sunday, I was actually driving during the, the game where they were playing against uh, Denver. So I haven't had a chance to watch these guys get down. How how are they as, as good as they seem to be on paper and just missing a few pieces like the Bears? It's really more of an execution problem. Mm. Uh, the Texans went 2 of 13 on third down. Oh, wow. They only had 15 first downs against Denver. And the offense for the second straight week did not get to 300 yards total offense. Uh, they only had 233 in Denver which is just a very weird number in today's NFL where the rules tend to favor offensive output. So um, I think it's more of an execution thing. And Davis Mills just is not in sync yet with his receivers. Um, He doesn't seem – he. it's like he's um, more of a – captain check down at this point and he's I don't know tentative to drive the ball down the field I know that he said last year that his philosophy is you can't go broke turning a profit well you know which is true but when you really need to make sizable gains to win ball games I mean, you just can't check down your way to a victory. And that's really what's happened to the Texans the first couple of weeks, particularly in Denver, is that. And so as a result, um, it just, you can't really get anything going. I mean, yeah, Damian Pierce had 4.6 yards per carry, I think, or was it 4.9 against the Broncos? But when you're not picking up first downs, you kind of have to abandon your run game. And it it just doesn't lend itself to uh, favorable outcomes. So, you know, I actually think that the Texans, they remind me a little bit of the 05 Chicago Bears, if you will. Okay. Though certainly not as successful mm-hmm. to this point. But do you remember the Bears, what oh, they yeah. were like that season? Yeah. That was before they got Devin Hester, which really was kind of put them over the top. But the quarterback play was still tepid with the rookie Kyle Orton. That's kind of what this is like. I don't think Mills is really going to do anything Rex Grossman-esque you know, to lose your ball games, but I don't think he's going to really, he just kind of blends in mm. kind of the same way Kyle Orton did. <laughs> so it's really going to have to be incumbent on the defense taking the next step, just generating a bunch of takeaways and for a little luck to happen on special teams, I think for Houston to really make any noise. Well, in the in the vein of the 2005 Bears, which is one of the better defensive teams we've ever had in the history of the franchise, do uh, do you guys have the horses to to pull that off? That's what I'm saying. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I because you had Lance Briggs, you had Brian Arlocker. I mean, you had Tommy Harris. Okay. It was really you know it was you had some like you said the horses. They're not there yet. You kind of see a little bit of Jalen Petrie, for example, the second-round safety from Baylor. Uh, he could blossom into something. Derek Stingley, I think, is going to be one of a top-10 corner in the league uh, throughout the uh, lifetime of his rookie contract. But And obviously they've got – they can add more pieces in the draft. Mm-hmm. But – yeah, it's just it, – that's what it's going to have to take is just stupendous performances by the defense and kind of choking teams out and winning ugly ball games at this point. Yeah, that uh, that was definitely the staple 
uh, of that 05 Bears team. I mean, they they pretty much had close to nothing as far as offensive production. I mean, if it wasn't uh, Thomas Jones and every once in a while maybe uh, Moosin Muhammad uh, making a play, that it was it was uh, the defense pitching shutouts and scoring their own points uh, that won us football games. Because there, I, I went back and looked at that 05 uh, def, uh, uh, team that one year, and it was like I was amazed. Like I didn't remember it being this insanely dominant there were like eight games where they where they allowed 10 points uh or less and it was um I mean and that was completely necessary in order for them to win 11 games uh that year because their offense was averaging like 15 points a game uh or or something like that is uh is the Texans offense kind of skewing that way where you know we're lucky to get two touchdowns on the board yeah I'll be honest with you when they say when, when the Broncos scored that touchdown, and all they did was go up thirteen nine. I was like, "That's it. That's the ball game," because the way the Texans' offense had moved throughout the game, the struggles they had to punch it in. I was just like, "That's it. That's you know that that's the ball game." Because I, they're not going to mount a touchdown drive. And uh, going back to the tie, you know, everybody everybody gave Lovey Smith a lot of grief over the tie. Right. And they used a quote, I think, where he said that uh, it was better that, to tie than to lose or something like that. I don't know. A tie but was they better than a possible loss. <clears throat> right. But he followed it up in like the same paragraph. And he said, the reason why he chose to punt is because he wasn't confident in the defense because they were gassed. Mm -hmm. And I figured that's so, yeah. Yeah. So that, so that was why he did that. And just that's what I'm saying is the defense did an admirable job against the Colts. And they held Denver to 16 points at home. Um, I think the defense can be good enough. It's just I don't know about the offense. And by the way, that's something I don't think Lovey Smith really gets a lot of credit for mm-hmm. is establishing a culture in a franchise oh. and in doing so – by punching the biggest bully in the mouth. Yeah. When he was at Chicago, he said, we're going to beat the Packers. And why would you say that? Because the Packers and Brett Favre had basically owned Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, they had their way with them. And I think that's what he was doing in week one against the Colts. Now, he didn't, in the opening press conference, when he took the job, say, we're going to beat the Colts twice a year. But I can tell you, in Houston – the Colts always win. They won nine out of the first ten games in franchise history. They didn't win in Indianapolis until 2015. Wow. They beat them in the playoffs in 2018, even though Houston won the division. They always The Colts always win. And Andrew Luck even was a Houston area high school football product. I said the Colts always win. And but to and as the way that game was going, Houston, what it would have just been another one of the Colts always win pages in franchise history. But by making it a tie, I think Lovey just established no, the Colts don't always win. Yeah, and you know, so that's what I'm saying is I don't think he's getting a lot of credit for trying to just write new narratives with the franchise yeah i mean it's it's something that he definitely did especially in his uh in his early years in chicago was totally turned that uh idea on its head with the the packers dominating the series and and far owning the bears uh for 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 the 90s and into the 2000s when lovey finally came in 2004 and um, he was, I think, you know, Favre was with the Packers for four seasons 
under Lovey, and the Bears won six of those games. Uh, that you know, Favre went two and six against the Bears in those last four uh, seasons, and one of them was a was it like a garbage Week Seventeen win when the Bears were getting ready for the playoffs. So it was yeah, uh, I remember it was December thirty first. Yes, indeed. Of '06, they flexed it into Sunday night because they thought it was going to be Favre's last game. Right. Yeah, and he's going to retire. Oh, yeah, I remember those storylines. Yeah, and you know the the Bears benched their starters after the first quarter, and the Packers went on to uh, win the game. And, you know, obviously, and then the Bears went to the Super Bowl. Favre was in tears in the press conferences and stuff on the field afterwards, and then played two more seasons after. Actually, what four more seasons after that? He played one in uh, one in with the Jets, and uh, actually he came back to Green Bay, one with the Jets, and then two with the Vikings before he finally did. Hang it up after the 2010 uh, season, but um, but yeah. So I mean, he he became in and he he, he took his lumps for a year, went uh, five and eleven. But then after that, the the team, you know, eleven and five in in oh five, and then thirteen and three in oh six, and we went to a Super Bowl. Uh, we didn't reach those heights again, but the Bears were always consistently, you know, a tough out, win or lose, and uh, he definitely changed the culture and the attitude so much to the point where. That's basically the guy that we hired this time around with Eberflus being a disciple of uh, what Lovey brought to Chicago with the loaf system because uh, he was, uh, you know, uh, his mentor is Marinelli, who obviously is a Lovey guy uh, and everything. So it's it's been a breath of fresh air seeing that effort once again on the uh, field. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out for us Sunday against the Packers. Well, I'll tell you another one. Um, Matt Eberflus actually – He's coaching at the University of Missouri, mm-hmm. went over to a coaching clinic when Levy Smith was with the St. Louis Rams as their defensive coordinator. Okay. And that's where he picked up some of those concepts from the Tampa two. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't sound like a very easy system to buy into because it requires maximum effort at all times because you're being judged every rep, every play, in practice, every play in, in, in the games and stuff. And if you're not giving maximum effort, you will not play. So it's not the easiest thing to buy into, but it seems like our guys are, are, are buying into it thus far. And it's, it's posted some pretty positive results, especially on the defensive side. It's the offense that the Bears need to really work on right now. Yeah, and I think that's going to be kind of the tail of the tape with Houston and Chicago is it's probably going to be another ugly game. And it may come down to between Fields and Mills, yeah. who makes the fewest mistakes yeah. or who makes the only mistake. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. probably going to come down to that. And, you know, I, if that's the case, I actually like Mills only because that's kind of his M.O. as it is is protecting the football. Um, I mean, even the lone giveaway he's had this year, that uh, sack fumble that happened against the Colts, that was very um, tenuous because Mm. it looked like his knee was down. Mm. But they ruled the ball was coming out as the knee was coming down. So it could have gone either way is what I'm saying. Sure. And so just on that basis, I like Davis Mills, but I think that Fields, to his credit, I think that he has a better knack for playmaking. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. And that's why he was kind of mocked to the Texans, even though they didn't really have a first-round pick Mm -hmm. in 2021 was because he had some of that same playmaking ability, putting the game in his hands like the uh, Texans' previous franchise quarterback. Sure. So so I I think Field has that going for him. And pending he doesn't make any mistakes, he just puts the ball in his hands, I think he could be a difference maker in the ballgame. So a key to the game for the Bears would probably be getting off to a fast start offensively, like maybe putting up 14 yeah. points in the first 
two quarters at oh, yeah. least and let the Texans chase after him? Yeah, because I think at that point it's insurmountable. Mm-hmm. And then the defense can just tee off on Mills, who's really kind of a statue in the pocket at this point. Mm. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it's going to be interesting uh, to to see because, like I said at the at the top, you know the the mo for these teams is similar. They want to run the football, they want to play defense, and you know they they want their. Even though I think you know, like you said, uh, uh, Fields has more of a playmaking uh, repertoire, if you will, with his feet and you know how he he can be deadly accurate with the ball, especially when he has time uh, and everything. It's just going to be a matter of uh, who plays. Who plays better offense uh, in, in this one? And uh, uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting because it's a tough call for me uh, at this point, especially after the game we had against uh, uh, Green Bay. We came out like a lightning storm with that first drive, seven plays, seventy-one yards. You know, touchdown. We did whatever we wanted, and then we didn't see the offense again until like late in the third quarter when we put a field goal drive together. But by that point, it was already twenty-four to seven. So uh, you know, it was a little too little, too late there uh, towards the. Uh, towards the end it's that uh you know getting outside that first 15 uh script that's going to be a challenge uh uh for the bears and and how well they can uh do what they need to against this texans defense yeah and that's why like i said it's just gonna come down to being careful with the football um and the bears they'll have to get off to a fast start i think if houston can get their running game going with Damian Pierce, mm-hmm. then that should help them control the tempo of the game. But, you know, to this point, I mean, he's been productive. The pro, you know, 4.6 yards for carry against the Broncos. The problem has been picking up those third downs, sustaining drives, stacking first downs. I mean, you know, and I did, I mean, I just threw out the statistics, but a lot of what really defines an offense as being successful is how many first downs they're stacking on first and second down, not just converting on third downs. And I think that's been Houston's problem is, you know, they're had, they've, Against the Broncos, they had 13 third-down conversions. That means there are 13 drives, you know, 13 instances, I guess, where they just didn't get it done on first and second downs. Yeah, that's um, – and that was a problem for the Bears on, on Sunday was stopping third down uh, against Green Bay. Green Bay was five of nine. Uh, in those situations, and you know that was that was really killer uh, for the Bears because we were able. That's how we were able to stay in the game with San Francisco is we got that offense off the field, and we got the the ball back in in our hands. And uh, what was mainly plaguing the Bears in the first half was the field position battle. Uh, we were starting inside our own twenty, while the Forty Niners were starting near their forty uh, every single time. So the field position battle was killing us. Even if we could put a first or uh, you know a first down together on one drive, we still had the length of the field to go in order to get into field goal range or to score uh, and things like that. So if uh, we can keep the if we can keep the Texans doing that, uh, and I'm, I'm sure field position will become a factor eventually, and uh, I would think the the Bears would have more success uh, on the offensive side with uh, with the shorter fields uh, and things like that. It's a different playbook when you only have to go so far to get a uh, to get a score. Yeah, and even if, you know, with these young teams that they have, when you're putting together longer drives, that just means more chances for a mistake that kills the drive. Indeed. Indeed, yeah. So so let's talk about this offensive line um, of yours. You have Laramie Tunzel, one of the best tackles uh, in the game, which is finally a trade you guys are done paying for. Because uh, it just seemed like uh, the the because the Dolphins seemed to be able to turn that one uh, or the whatever draft picks was it two ones and a two or something like that for for Tunzel they were able to flip yeah, that into like six picks and and keep using it right like right up until this season or something like that. 
Yeah, Andy, I remember same year they traded Minka Fitzpatrick. So it was uh, it was a firestorm. Yeah. <laughs> so you have Tunzel. I show the, the the depth chart I have on ESPN says Justin McCray's your left guard. Uh, Justin Britt uh, at center, AJ Can at right guard, and then another for, first round pick in Titus Howard as a uh, right tackle. How have they been thus far? Well, Justin Britt missed the Broncos game due to personal reasons. So they went with Scott Casenberry at center, uh, Can and Kenyon Green. They've been serviceable. Can is kind of like a uh, lieutenant for offensive line coach George Warhop. Both were with the Jacksonville Jaguars from 2019 to 2021. Um, It's been, you know, their philosophy is, yeah, I mean, the offensive line, they're going to do their job when it comes to the run game. But you're really kind of looking at four yards of carry if that's the case, if they can get everyone else, the tight ends, perimeter players, to get involved in the run game, setting their blocks, holding their blocks, then you're going to start trending towards five yards of carry and above. Mm-hmm. So the offensive line's doing its job. I mean, Damian Pierce, he had 15 carries for 69 yards. Um it's just they need the rest of the offense hold their blocks so that Pierce is able to continue to I mean he's I mean he's had like the you know, the longest runs that he's had and they've all been kinda him have been about eight or nine yards. He just really hasn't had one of those chunk rushing yards. Mm-hmm. I mean rushing plays yet. And that's really what's kind of lacking. But the offensive line, I think they've improved it from a year ago for sure. Yeah, and, well, I mean, 4.6 yards or 4.9, uh, whatever it is for, for Pierce in the, against the Broncos is pretty solid. How was he against the Colts? Yeah, Pierce, they – I think he had three point. yeah, he had three yards of carry. He had 11 carries for 33 yards. Uh, they got into more passing situations, which necessitated the usage of Rex Burkhead. Mm-hmm. So, he, you know, they didn't really use him that much. But Lovey wanted to emphasize Pierce against the Broncos. And I think they'll be doing the same thing in Chicago. Yeah. Um. So your your uh, skill position guys, Brandon Cooks. You got uh, let's see, Nico Collins, Chris Moore, uh, Philip Dorsett, Tyler Johnson, and your wide receiving core. And then you have Farrell Brown and, and OJ Howard, who is somehow keep bouncing around uh, the league after being one of the more sought after tight ends in the draft uh, a few years ago. I know he scored a touchdown for you guys against the uh, oh the two touchdowns. Did he score both of them? Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. And uh, obviously, you guys didn't score a touchdown against the Broncos. So I'm not going to ask how he did uh, against them, but uh, you know these uh, skill position guys. Is it is it Brandon Cooks and everyone else, or, or do you have a like a, a core that you guys are working on? Yeah, that's basically it. Is Brandon Cooks and everyone else? Nico Collins. He's uh, trying to come on. He had four catches for 58 yards. He led Houston against the Broncos. But, you know, it's just, it's really, they're not in sync yet. Mills had a 50% completion percentage, which is good, you know, in like 1965. But, (laughs) I mean, that is horrendous in today's NFL. Um, 19 completions on 38 attempts. So... Some of it's just been getting the receivers and everybody in sync. There have been a lot of drop passes, but if they can get that going, um, I think that that the passing game should be serviceable. Definitely something that can take advantage 
of the run game, you know, opening things up for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, right now it's pretty much Brandon Cooks leading the way. He had the most targets with 10 mm-hmm. against the Broncos. So what happened in Indianapolis? Because I was – I was, you know, quite stunned to see Texans out twenty to three, but then all of a sudden I'm watching the ticker, and that's that that uh, that lead started to melt, and then the the Colts actually had a chance to win at the end of the the regulation, didn't they? Yes. So what what happened with the the seventeen point lead? Did they just get gassed out uh, or, or anything, or didn't was was the did Matt Ryan finally become effective and start slinging it around? What what caused the seventeen point uh, lead to disappear? Basically, in today's NFL, um, if, I mean, these offenses and the rules that favor them are designed for them to score points quickly. Mm -hmm. So if you, if your offense is unable to have a four minute drive and your defense commensurately can't make them burn clock, then you're going to see a 17-point lead evaporate over the course of the fourth quarter. And that's basically what happened, mm-hmm. was the offense, they couldn't melt clock, and the defense was so gassed by that point, they couldn't make the Colts just, you know, mm-hmm. waste it in their scoring drives. Right. And that's basically what happened. And then in overtime, nobody could do anything? Yeah. I, the best they had was Rodrigo Blankenship's field goal. But when they got that delay a game or whatever, he got backed up. You know, I just figured, oh, he's going to miss it. And then there's going to be a tie just because I wasn't confident that Houston – was going to be able to score, and then they managed to waste enough time to where that's exactly what happened. But, um, yeah, it was just the defense was gassed by that point in the ballgame. Yeah. Yeah, as, as I imagine they would be, um, especially that, that time of year, just, just getting started. Uh, you know, the, once the adrenaline wears off, man, it takes a toll. Uh, on your body and uh yeah when you got nothing left when you're when you're getting into 60 plus minutes as opposed to just getting through the first 60 uh those last 10 can really uh that really take it out of you so it's uh that's pretty much what I figured was going on and I heard Lovey say that that uh, the defense was the defense was gassed and you know he was worried about you know basically putting them in, in a tough spot and uh Better to better to take the tie than uh, than watch the team give it away. Not that he didn't have confidence the defense could do it. He just wasn't confident they had the gas to pull it off, uh, which is a legitimate concern. Right, and that's what I'm saying is if he'd gone for it, they didn't get it, and then the Colts kicked the game-winning field goal, that would have been so deflating. Yeah. At least to this point, it was – we gave the Indianapolis Colts, who beat us sixty-two to three last year, oh, wow. everything we got for seventy minutes, and left with a stalemate. Yeah. Who's really the problem mm-hmm. at this point? Well, actually, now you see it's the Colts. They're yeah. the problem that because they got blanked by the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, what, what is you know, it who's about, really the problem? What is it about Jacksonville for the Colts, man? I, I just I can't wrap my head around that for a second. You know, they week one of 2020, they go down there to Jacksonville. They lose week one. Jacksonville doesn't win a game for the rest of the year after that. And then last year, it's the last game of the season. Jacksonville's got the number one pick locked up. They have nothing to play for. They're only out there because the NFL says you got to finish the schedule. And they somehow managed to beat the Colts when all they had to do was beat the two and fourteen Jaguars to get into the playoffs, and they got killed down there. And then this past Sunday, they get blanked twenty four to nothing uh, out there. It's like what is what's in the water in Jacksonville? The Colts just can't function down there. Yeah, I think a lot of it is um, 
just a lot of it is mindset. Sure. And when, so I think Jacksonville's just been built up into this boogeyman. Mm -hmm. I don't even think they're actually anything. I think the Colts have made it just kind of a bigger problem than they actually are. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like how if you just sat there and dreaded um, doing the dishes, <laughs> you know, and they piled up in the sink and you couldn't in, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I'm going to get trouble when she gets home. She's going to drive at me for not doing the dishes. And <laughs> I just, I, I can't. And then that's what it becomes. Sure. And it's like that. There's a mindset of some kind. It's like the Bermuda Triangle is what I call it. Sure. Um, yeah. With them. I think it's all in the Colts head because it's clearly not anything that the Jaguars are doing because you got Doug Marone and then, um, you know, uh, Arvin Meyer Mm -hmm. and then, you know what I mean? And then who, I think it was, uh, Daryl Bevel. He finished it out last year. Yeah. And now Doug Peterson. Yeah. I mean, it's not a culture thing. It's a Frank Wright thing. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, because it's not a talent deficit that's losing the Colts games down there. They've literally played the worst team in the NFL their last two trips down there in 2020 and 2021. And, you know, it's too early in the season to say how good or bad the Jags are going to be, but they look like world beaters on Sunday when they blank the Matt Ryan and the Colts. It's it's pretty uh, amazing what happens uh, down there. So, but... um. Uh, real quick to wrap up, uh, Mark, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, to help us preview uh, the game. How do you see it unfolding on Sunday? I think Houston wins 19-17. okay. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I feel like that it'll be a similar score, but I, I think the Bears uh, can win this one. I mean, I think it's possible that either one of these teams could walk out. Let uh, me put it win. this way. So I, Let me put it this way, Larry. Sure. The Texans absolutely got a gift from the schedule makers mm-hmm. to be playing in Chicago in September. Yeah. I mean, that is an absolute gift yeah. because if it were even in October a little bit, maybe the wind's a little bit more of a factor. If it definitely November – and on, it could be anything mm-hmm. in terms of the conditions. So it's an absolute gift that <laughs> they're playing in Soldier Field on in September. So yeah. that's why, you know, if weather were at all a factor, I mean, I'd say something like 23 to 7, but <laughs> I don't think it will be, so that's right. why. I'm going for the high-scoring shootout of oh, yeah. 1917. 1917. We, we might crack 30, take the over uh, on right. that one. So, but, yeah, I mean, I think, it, it's, it's, um, I think it's a benefit to both teams that we're playing each other at this point with the, the new systems uh, in place. It's, it's going to come down to who's, who's ready, who's prepared uh, for this game on Sunday versus uh, who's better uh, than who. I believe because I think it's like you said, it's going to come down to the quarterbacks and and who makes the fewest mistakes, or as you put it, who makes the only uh, mistake that will uh, win this game. Because I think just as a whole, whichever team makes the fewest mistakes will be the one that comes out ahead. Yeah, yeah. So should be interesting. Uh, kickoff is at uh, noon Central Time for the Bears and the Texans. Uh, Mark, thanks so much uh, for uh, helping us out. Uh, where can we keep up with you? Uh, uh, online, yeah, uh, at the real Mark Lane on Twitter. You want to read about the Texans? TexansWire.usatoday.com, and that's right, Larry. Noon Central Time Central Sunday. Time. That's right, the best time zone. Absolutely, it is the right front burner of time zones. Absolutely, <laughs> it is. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. All right, thanks, Larry.
As always, want to thank our our friend Mark Lane from uh, USA Today's Texans Wire for joining us to help us preview this game between the Bears and the Texans uh, on Sunday. And as we wrap things up, we got keys uh, to the game. You heard us talk about one of them uh, during the uh, during the interview, which was we got to get off to a fast start uh, on Sunday. This is not a football team that is going to get mixed up in a shootout. Uh, with the Bears. This is not going to be a uh, Dolphins-Ravens game where the final score is 42-38 to and the two teams combined for 1,000 yards of total offense uh, or anything like that. This is not going to be one of those games. If, if one of these teams is over 300 yards, then they've really done something uh, in this game against these, uh, against these defenses and with these offenses. But this is also the Bears' first real chance to open up this offense because while the Texans are good on defense, they are disciplined, they are well-coached, we don't have to face a a Nick Bosa and a Fred Warner or a Kenny Clark, uh, you know, uh, and and, uh, Rashawn Gary and and all the horses that they had on the Green Bay side uh, as well. This is not a defense stocked with talent at every uh, position. You know, aside from the new guys they brought in like Petrie and Stingley, uh, in the secondary, Jerry Hughes is a solid veteran, but outside of that, they do not have the same level of talent that we've been struggling with these last two weeks. So this is the Bears' first real opportunity to be able to string some drives together, to be out there on the field, to not go three and out, you know, five, six drives in a row, just pissing the game away kind of thing. It would help us maybe add some balance to the offensive attack and, and things like that. I mean, Justin Fields only attempted 11 passes on Sunday, or only threw 11 passes. But we, I think, they called 19 run plays, I think I read earlier today. Three of them were sacks. Uh, three more were, I think there were penalties or something involved that brought them back or something like that. But we only called 19 run plays, uh, the whole, or excuse me, pass plays the whole game and only got to attempt uh, 11 passes we got to do better than that. We easily have the worst passing offense in the NFL again uh, this year because I think we're averaging. I mean, well, we we netted 48 yards after the sacks uh, on field, so he threw for 70. After the the sack yardage was taken away, he netted 48, and then last week he only threw for 122 minus whatever uh, was taken away when he got sacked a couple of times last week as well. So. You know, let's just call it 100 last week and 48 this week. We're averaging like 70-something yards a game passing in the first two games. That's ridiculous. So with the fact that, yes, yes they're disciplined, they're well-coached because they're, you know, they got lovey, they're going to be trying to take the ball from us the same way that we're going to be taking away from them and everything. But this is a real chance to expose the talent deficit from what we've been facing to what the Texans are bringing to the field uh, on Sunday, and I would like to see us take advantage of that. Uh, I really would. To have us sustain the drives, being consistent with the, with the you know, instead of three and out, maybe six or seven and out if we have to punt uh, kind of thing. But not just, boom, you know, run right, run left, pass on third down, punt. You know, I don't want to see that this Sunday. I really want to see us uh, flex our offensive muscles and take advantage of the fact that we're not placing, we're not facing the, uh, the Niners, or the Packers this week. So I would really like to see that. Uh, on defense, I would love to see us shore up the tackling. Um, Damian Pierce is a solid runner. Uh, he's been running the football well for the Texans in these first two games. I would really like to, for him not to make his name on the Chicago Bears uh, this Sunday. That would be fantastic. I would also like to see the running backs and the safeties, or excuse me, the linebackers and the safeties filling those gaps that the uh, front four are opening up for them when they penetrate uh, the line of scrimmage so that uh, they're actually running into a wall of eight people as opposed to just dodging the front four and making everybody else miss uh, kind of thing. So being a lot more consistent with our tackling, maybe come in a little bit more under control. I know that that gets the, not gets the Uberflus wants you in there fast uh, and everything. That doesn't mean he wants you flying by. He means he wants you to get there in a hurry, but when you get there, get there under control, set your feet, lower your shoulder, take his ass to the ground. 
That's more what he's looking for as opposed to be like, hey, coach, I made it to the spot. Well, yeah, you made it to the spot, and then you ran five yards past it because you didn't slow down. You just came flying in there wild and out of nowhere, and it's no wonder you ran right past him, and he made you look like a fool when he cut to the inside. If you were under control, you might have been able to get a piece of him, slow him down. One of your other teammates comes in and finishes him off. That's probably more what uh, Coach Eberflus and uh, Alan Williams uh, are looking for. And that was pretty much it. You know, I want sustaining the drives, shoring up the tackling, starting getting off to a fast start with this offense because, like, uh, like Mark talked about, you know, it's Brandon Cooks and everybody else in the passing game. It's Damian Pierce and everybody else in the running game that basically if we can bottle those guys up, we've got this offense under control. Looks like Davis Mills isn't going to go out of his way to try to force throws and things like that. So turnovers or takeaways might be on, you know, on the scarce side uh, against these guys. They're not going to force any mistakes uh, and what have you. So we're just going to have to make sure we minimize what it is the Texans are able to do. Uh, and shut them down, and then make the most of it when we have the football uh, in our hands. Having those extended drives, gobbling up the clock, keeping the ball in our hands, and uh, dominating the game. Because I really feel like, I don't know where it is, Mark thinks that the Texans are better than the Bears, I just don't see that. So maybe it's just my bias uh, or whatever, but I don't see how the Texans are going to win this game uh, on Sunday. I just don't see it. So I don't think Justin Fields is mistake-prone or anything like that. Did you see the play that uh, Jair Alexander made to make that interception? The guy came flying in from 10 yards behind. He wasn't supposed to be there. You know, Alexander just made a hell of a play. It wasn't a bad throw from Justin Fields. You didn't, you didn't hear that come out of Chris Collins' mouth, because trust me, he's one of the first ones to say it when something like that happens. Like This is just a bad throw from Justin Fields. It's like, no, Justin Fields wasn't expecting Jair Alexander to pull off Superman impression and come flying in out of nowhere and pick off the football. So, uh, you know, Fields is not mistake prone. He did not force that throw. Uh, an all-pro corner made an outstanding play and picked him off. So much like when Eddie Jackson picked off Trey Lance week one, that was a hell of a play that Eddie Jackson made. Trey Lance didn't necessarily make a bad throw. He just didn't notice that Eddie Jackson was right there and would come flying in like that. So, yeah, I just don't see... Uh, how Mark thinks the, the Bears are going to lose this one. I, I don't get it. So anyway, that is going to do it for the week three preview episode of the Bear Stuck Underground. Come back tomorrow when we will preview the rest of the week three NFL uh, schedule, including the 30s, Thursday night game between the Steelers and the Browns uh, and all the games in between and uh, see if I can approve upon my 8-8 eight eight week two. Uh, record you know I had a few games stolen from me with those comebacks and uh, everything I should have done much better than I did but take the eight and eight that I got I'm 17 14 and one on the season see how I do in week number three now that we're starting to get a better feel uh, for what's going on uh, around the league so come back tomorrow on Friday for the week three NFL preview and until then my name is Larry D and this has been the Bear Stock Underground <laughs>